we can be encouraged in our battles and we can be encouraged in what the Lord is allowing us to endure and why he's allowing us to endure. So bow your head with me and we'll pray. Lord God, you are a gracious God. You're a faithful God, a God who never leaves or forsakes us. It is your trademark. When we think of faithful, God, you are 100% for what the word faithful means. You think of love. You are the completion of love. You're 100% of what love should be. So we thank you for your faithfulness and your love towards us. You have a loving kindness that endures through the ages. And God, when we turn our back on you, when we fall and when we slide and we and we do things that are displeasing to you, Lord, you do not, you do not turn your back on us. You pursue us because you love us. It's like the prodigal son, God. We think of his struggles, his trials, how he walked, all the hurtful things that he did to his dad. But yet, Lord, the seeds that were planted in him, the truths that you imparted in him was that my dad loves me and that I know if I go home, life is much better than being in the wilderness. So we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice, Lord. We thank you for your gift. Bless this time, God. Speak to your people. Equip us, Lord, in this battle. Help us to know the truth of who you are and whose we are. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Man. So today, as we jump in, um, in this lesson today, and I, I talked about what, share the title, but what I want to do is really, I like to parallel or juxtapose two separate but similar systems of temptation by the enemy that we see in scripture. So we see the enemy attacking some folks. One we see uh, in the temptation of the fall of Adam and Eve, right? When Adam and Eve falls, there's a temptation or a system um, that the enemy uses uh, to trip them up to have them fall. The enemy also used it, that same temptation to test Jesus. And so we see the temptation and the fall of Adam and Eve, but then we'll start to see the test and the victory of Jesus, right? And so um, most of you guys know the story of, I'll uh, kind of give you some uh, drawbacks so we can move forward, but right, for those of you know, uh, uh, Satan, um, for for most of the historians, for the most of the, the uh, theologians, they see Satan as Lucifer, the cherubim who was kicked out of heaven. And we see some glimpses of that. Some people uh, in Ezekiel 28, they, um, they see this story. Uh, some people see it as a king. Other people see it as the enemy, this, uh, Satan, who was kicked out of heaven. And, and, and Ezekiel 28 goes on to say he remained perfect in his ways until... Iniquity was found in him. We read in verse 17, and you don't have to pull it up because this is something separate. We'll get into the meat of our, um, uh, this is just sidebar. We'll get into the meat of our message. But in verse 17, it says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and, your, and, and you corrupt your wisdom because of your splendor. Lucifer apparently became so impressed with his own beauty intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and the glory that only belongs to God, right? So Lucifer got to the point where he felt like he could be God, right? The sin that corrupted Lucifer was self-generated pride. 
there's a pride that happens. It happened in Lucifer. And then as we jump into our lesson, we'll continue to go on and see how uh, this pride can come at us in a similar fashion. Why is this so important? Lucifer was also known as Satan, goes to war with God in an attempt to hurt or get back at God. Satan is often referred to as the accuser or the adversary, right? And so as I started off saying, we're in a war, we're in a battle, we're in a battle, a spiritual battle constantly. There's the war happening. Um, and Satan uh, does a surprise attack and he generally attacks when and where we are weak. He, he doesn't attack us when we're strong, where we're strong, he attacks us where we're weak. He comes out to Adam and Eve in the garden when they had bounty and they had much, right? This is a sidebar. Just because you have much doesn't mean that the enemy will not come after you. The Bible talks about him always crouching at your door. He came after Jesus in the desert as soon as he was done with his 40-day fast. Not after a huge meal, but when he had little, no food. The attack turned the stones into bread as he was really hungry. Satan tries to attack us where we are weak. And so um, I'm starting to understand this, that Satan uses three ways to attack us. And I think we talked about this a, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. Uh, but there's the perspective that God's been really, I couldn't shake it. I just, I was, I was trying to figure out um, why God kept bringing this up, especially to me in, in my spirit with all the work that I do in the community that we serve. Why has God continue to bring this up? Like there is a system of attack that is happening that the enemy uses over and over again. Right. Uh, we learned that Satan can't create. He can only imitate. And so he uses these things over and over again. He doesn't come up with anything new. It's usually the same things that he uses to uh, to attack us. A system he uses for Adam and Eve and just as well as Jesus. We see it found in First John 2.16. And I'll kind of give you a, a, a real quick um um, uh, read through, but it says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires, the eye, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And so I think Jonathan talked about it uh, earlier, but again, number one thing that enemy uses for us is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Second thing he uses is the lust of the eye. Um, this is the system of temptation and sin. And I want you guys to get familiar with, familiar with this setup. It's a familiar setup. And if you've been in faith for a long time, you can start to see it coming. The lust of the flesh means that lust for physical pleasure. The preoccupation with gratifying physical desires and Galatians talks in detail um, the other kinds of temptations and sins that we see happening as it pertains to the lust of the flesh, right? 
the lust of our flesh. Um, I read it. Um, Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says, now the work of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensualities, idolatry, and idolatry is the worship of something or someone other than God, as if they were God. And that's a very important one, because I think that's where uh, the enemy, uh, Satan, kind of find, found his fall. Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the likes. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? And so as we start to jump into seeing what is this system at play here that the enemy uses to trap us, right? And it's just not for sin purposes. The enemy, the enemy, Satan wants to kill us. He literally wants to take our life away. And in our communities all over the world, but especially from, from my experience in our hoods, it is the predominant way we are under attack. It is the predominant way we are under attack. Right? We are looking to get involved in the um, the lust of the flesh because we're looking for our value. We're trying to figure out our worth. And a lot of times in our urban centers and in these places where we go, we don't really understand who we are. We don't understand who God created us to be. And we struggle through. We struggle to find purpose. And I think that's connected to this, this full uh, system of attack that the enemy has been using since the beginning of time to destroy us, destroy our community, and destroy people. The second is the lust of the eye. And I know we talked about it already, but I just really want to give a, 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 a really brief synopsis of it so that we can be on the same page. But the lust of the eye, meaning that the lust for everything we see is craving and accumulating things bowing to the God of materialism, right? Our entire world, I've known so many guys, so many guys that get trapped, caught up, guys and gals, guys meaning guys and gals, but get caught up in materialism. We get caught up in finding our worth in things. We find our worth in things. I got a good job. I got the nice car. I got the new Jordans. They just came out. I'm super fly. Look at me, right? Um, the lust of the eye. Think about this. How do these things constitute temptations and lead us into sin? The lust of the eye. How does that lead us to sin? In, our, in my context, what I'm used to seeing is Guys are so wrapped up in having things that when they can't have them, they take alternative paths to achieve them. I see you with a nice car, but I don't got a job to, to get that car. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to do things to get that. For some of us, we do the same thing with relationships, right? 
relationships. I've, I don't find value. I've never been um, in a place where I understand who God created me to be and I know my worth and I'm solid in my foundation. I'm always questioning. I'm always doubting. And so I'm looking outward to find value. I'm looking outward to find worth. And so when we have the lust of the eye, it is essentially trying to find these things that can give us worth. If I just get the big house, as soon as I get that big house, I made it. I'm the man now. I'm the woman. I got it together, right? As soon as my bank account gets to X amount, when it gets to this amount, I know I'm good. I got it there, right? And not that these fleshly things are bad in and of themselves. Not that material things are bad, and I want to re-communicate that. But the idea is that when we bow to them as they are gods, they become an issue. If it's the first thing we wake up in the, in, in the morning, and that's the first thing on our mind, we have to really check ourselves and make sure that we are putting God in his right place. And we're putting material things where they need to be. And I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed to having nice things. I like nice things. I know Brother Jay like nice things. I see he already put this thumb up. All the guys, Scott, all of us on here, we like nice things. But the idea is that they don't make us. They don't define who we are. If I have them today, I can be fine with them being gone tomorrow. Right? And the enemy comes at us with that, to find our worth in these things. When you start to find your worth in these things, you're starting on a slippery slope, right? And so we got to be careful about um, the lust of the flesh. You got to be careful about the lust of the eyes. And then third, the pride of life, right? The pride of life. What does that mean? Like, what is it? Like, literally, what is the pride of life mean? Like, what are you talking about? Um, but the pride of life means in our possessions, we are obsessed in one's status, right? In my status, who I am, the position of power. And, I, and this stuff is starting to sound familiar as we, as we think about how Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. Right, he was kicked out because he believed that he could be God, that I can ascend into where God is. And when you get to the point where you're in a place where no one can correct you, <laughs> no one can tell you, no one can come to you and be like, "Hey, man, I think I think you should look at it this way." From and you're like, "No, I got it all together." Got to be careful to check the pride of life, right? It's the power of importance, right? It's the power of position. It's your status, right? It is who you think you are. Like, ultimately, it's a false sense of who you think you are. You elevate yourself to a place where only God should be. And I know a lot of us struggle with that, right? We struggle with being corrected. We struggle with sometimes our, our, our chest puff, puff up with pride. Sometimes we um, 
you know, we struggle with knowing our purpose and, and nobody can tell us anything because if they give me some constructive cre uh, criticism or anything like that, it's going to put a, a, a hit on my ego and then I'm going to start to doubt myself and I'm actually going to really, really start going backwards in my work because I really don't understand who God created me to be. I don't understand my purpose. I don't understand whose I am. Right? And the reminder of these things is that you belong to God. And as I prayed earlier, God loves you. He created you with a purpose. And the enemy wants to destroy you. And I know a lot of us in here, some of us are young Christians and young believers. And we're trying to figure this thing out. The scriptures tell us to figure out our salvation with fear and trembling. But there's a, a way that we should be doing it. And that's in community. Right? We get around people who are going to encourage us and speak the truth to us because the enemy is going to be at you all the time. As we start to read um, a few passages of what we're going to cover, uh, the, the meat of our text, we're going to start to see that. We're going to start to see the, how the enemy attacks us and why. So um, if you got your scriptures, I want to jump into um, the fall. And most of us know the story of the fall. Right, I laid out the attack, the system of the, how the enemy used this. Now I want to read through just uh, the example, the actual, the actual example of how the enemy uh, used this on Adam and how he used it on Eve and then how he used it on Jesus and see their responses. And then as, as believers, I want to start for us to figure out how do we respond like Jesus when we're under attack in these ways. And there's a lot of ways um, this plays out in our reality. These systems play out um, not just spiritually. They play out in the, in the physical realm, too, as well. So um, the fall, we're going to go Genesis 3. And I know, Jonathan, if you have that, if you want to put that up, but I'm going to read. Fall. Now the serpent was more craftier than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open." You be like God, knowing both good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then their eyes were both open and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Our and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate of it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, did that go back off? Well, that's good right there. Um, clearly, we can see um, from the initial passage when we read how the enemy was coming at Adam and Eve with the same system. It's the same system he came at them with. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. How many of you guys recognize the lie that the enemy was telling, um, telling Eve to actually convince her that she could eat from the fruit, from the tree? When we start to review this system over and over again, it becomes familiar to us. And the reason it becomes familiar to us because we are always under attack with the same lie, the same system of attack. It is the same system of attack that the enemy used for us. We think about depression. We think about people struggling to figure out who they, their identity, who they are. What do you think that comes from? Like I said earlier, the enemy doesn't use any new tactics. He doesn't attack you where you are strong. If you don't eat meat, he's not going to dangle a steak in front of you. He won't do it. It's a waste of time. What I believe is the enemy knows when we are not equipped. When we are not praying. When we don't put on the full armor of God. When we're not fasting, when we're not in the word. These are disciplines to help us develop spiritually. And if we're in a spiritual battle, I believe there's an attack that we are experiencing. The effects of sin in the relationship damage caused by the fall. We saw the attack. I read it to you. Um, but what are the effects of sin in the relationship that were damaged by the fall. One, we see Adam and Eve. They used to walk in the cool of the garden with God. They had a relationship with God. They knew God intimately. And when they sinned, they hid from God. They ran and hid from God. Think about this, guys. If God is your heavenly father, which he is, and sometimes we have, most of us have fathers, sometimes we, we haven't, sometimes we have imperfect fathers and parents. But there's a hurt that comes when we, when we disobey, when we break the rules that our, our parents give us, 
when our Heavenly Father gives us statues, when he gives us laws, when he gives us rules in, what, in order to live, and when we break those, it hurts our Heavenly Father. Because ultimately, uh, as a, a, a parent, father, mother, depending on how you grew up, um, their responsibility is to provide and protect you. And I think about my daughters, I think about my girls, when they, when they mess up, when they slip up and have accidents or whatever it is, right? I need to love them well, but th there's also a time when I have to discipline them, right? And, um, and sometimes disciplining our, our, my, I mean, most all the time, the discipline in my, my kids, there isn't a great feeling, right? Because I want them to prosper. I want them to enjoy life. I want things to go well for them. And so it hurts me as well as the pain that they're going to have to endure by the sin, the, the, the fall. There's going to be a, a separation, a cutoff. There's going to be a reality for God that I feel is, is, a, is a hurtful thing. There's going to be also a reality for mankind because we're going to be separated from God. When we're separated from God, there's a spirit, there's a there's something about being in a relationship and then that relationship being cut off, right? And so that's what happened with E. So with them uh, for themselves, uh, the relationship with their self, right? They knew who they were in Christ. They knew they were made in the image of God. They knew they were fearfully and wonderfully made. They knew they had purpose. And when they sin, that relationship was fractured and shame into the world. They now start to feel shame. This is the first, first time the human beings start to feel shame. The relationship with God, that relationship with God was separated. They saw God now as a judge. Right? They saw God as someone who's going to come down with the hammer on them and blast away at them. He's got to punish sin. And so they hear from God. So that relationship was fractured. And then uh, the last relationship, the relationship with each other. This is the last one I want to talk about today. But the relationship with other, each other. Adam and Eve, as soon as they sin, they start to back and forth with each other. They start to bicker. They start to pass blame. Start to pass blame. No, they, Adam didn't take responsibility for his action. Eve didn't take responsibility for her action. And so we start to see the breakdown in our in, in our world, our society. It breaks down from sin entering into the world and, and fracturing some relationships to end sin enters into the world, and when it manifests, it leads to death. And so we see that played out with Adam and Eve, their children. Cain kills Abel. It's the first murder, and it's a direct response to this system that the enemy had put in place to deceive Adam and Eve, which leads to death. And so I want you guys to be thinking about that as in your personal life, in your own personal, how you live your life, how you make decisions. I want you to be thinking about the, the, um, 
the lust of the flesh. And how this is just one of many tricks that the enemy uses to get us to make to sin, to fall, to, to, to uh, break relationship with God. Think about the lust of the eye. When we put other things, right, all the things we see, right, we desire those. And God wants us to be the, his, our soul desire. Like we should be our, his, our, he should be our first priority. The first thing that we seek for, the first thing that we look at, right? And then the pride of life. Pride of life, the pride of life is something else, man, because it gets all of us. It gets all of us in subtle ways, in subtle ways, right? Sometimes, right, I'm out walking down the street and I see a homeless person, right? And I think I am better than them. Just, just, just because they're home, because of the situation they're in. And it's a subtle sin. We slowly ratchet up our importance and our value over other people. My car is better than your car, so I am better than you. Oh, I got a job. Well, I got this. So I ain't no sinner. Like, I don't sin like you sin. Yeah, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. You're an independent. The way y'all think, the way Chicago, those Democrats in Chicago, man, they tearing up the place, right? (laughs) Well, those Republicans, man, they're all this. They're all that, right? And we slowly start ratcheting up to the fact we don't even realize that there's a pride that has snuck into our life. No one can't correct you. Who she thinks she's talking to? I don't know how you're going to tell me that. You must be crazy, right? Not willing to take correction. There's a pride that I think all of us get. I pray more than you, man. I get up at 7 a.m. We up at 6 in the morning, boy. Y'all better get up, match my glow. Get up and pray at 6 in the morning, Right? And if we're not careful, the pride can creep in there. And these are the traps that the enemy uses over and over and over again. Some of it may be addiction. Some of it may be bad relationship. Some of it may be whatever, right? Whatever my goals are. They're more important than what God, I feel God is calling me to. And so as we see the fall happen, as we see the enemy uh, uh, tricks um, out of me, we see that happen. And then we ultimately, um, we learn that Adam and Eve is kicked out of the garden and they're separated And with those actions, there needs to be a plan to reconcile mankind back to a perfect and heavenly father. And so God comes up with this master plan. I'm going to send Jesus on mission to reconcile. 
And you hear Jesus say this over and over again. I am here to do the will of my father. God sent me here, right? So then we see Jesus comes in and right away, Jesus is under attack. He's being tempted or he's being tested by the enemy in the wilderness. Uh, and we, if you want to, um, there's a part in, in um, that I'm just going to read. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory. What has been given or delivered to me, and I give to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an, an opportune time. So I'm going to stop it right there, Jonathan. So right at the start of Jesus' ministry, he set out his mission statement. Right. And that can be found in Luke four. But he's being tempted with the same exact. Almost verbatim, the same script. The enemy is using he used against uh, Adam and Eve. He's using against Jesus. Jesus responds with the word of God. And there's power in the scriptures. Right. And so as I encourage you guys, it is important that you guys know the scriptures, that you read the scriptures, that you dive into the scriptures, that you memorize the scriptures. They are the key to life. There was a time when I was struggling. I, I, I've been in faith. I came to faith at 13. There was a time when I was burying so many people in our communities. And there was so much negative stuff happening. And I was, my dad was murdered. There was my oldest brother died. My oldest brother, other old brother was murdered. Then like all these things happened when I was younger and I got, I got fed up with God. I was tired of God. I'm tired of trying to be the person who does the right thing. I'm tired of this ain't working. I'm tired of it. This isn't fair. This ain't right. Our community struggling too much. Racism. Oppression. This God, this is not right. And I was burned out. And I said, I'm finna step away from God. I'm tired. I'm not going to church. I'm not praying. I'm not doing any of that. I'm tired. Because this ain't right. 
I was at my wits end. And it was basic scriptures that I learned years back. Basic scriptures that I learned when I was a, a young, young in the faith that helped me stay the course. God was drawing me back to him with these scriptures that he had given me that I had memorized. I internalized them and they were, they were the words of life when I was ready to die, when I was ready to give up. And so I would encourage you guys, I would encourage you guys, get into scriptures, pray, without ceasing. These are, these are things God, Jesus calls us to do. Jesus is our example. He has been here from the beginning, from the very beginning. He has always been. He is omniscient. It means he knows all. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's all powerful. And he knows that we're in a spiritual war. He knows that. We don't seem to know that. And so he's consistently praying for us, interceding for us, because we are not at the point where we know we're in a battle. New Christians, we don't put our full armor of God on. We have to learn to do that. We have to learn to fast and pray. We have to learn to stay in community where people are going to give you the truth, they're going to pray for you, hold you accountable, but speak life into you when you're ready to quit. There's a system set up out there, right? We talk about the system that the enemy uses, that's spiritual, how it manifests. In the in in physical, you guys see it. Supremacy, pride of life. I'm better than you. You're three-fifths of men. You aren't smart enough. You're not human. You're going to be subservient. Always. Supremacy plays itself out the pride of life. Same thing with pride in, in other cultures. Entitlement. You owe me. I ain't doing, I ain't never working. Forget everybody. Don't nobody care about me. When God has clearly communicated differently. And so in our in our lives, in our world, we're seeing these systems play out. Spiritually, there's ways the enemy attacks you in your mind, thoughts, all those things, pride of life. The lust of the flat, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, it plays out uh, in the spirit, but in the flesh it manifests. And so my our job as leaders is to encourage you to speak the truth in love, but to equip you. It's to say, hey man, Jesus knows all of this. And the words that he speaks are the, the words of life. 
And so as Jesus, as Adam and Eve fell, when they went through this same system of struggle, right, this temptation, this system that the enemy used, trick, pride of life, all that, where Adam and Eve fell, Jesus shows you how to succeed. Jesus quoted the, the scriptures, the word of life. And it's vital that you know them. It is vital. If you don't, what ends up happening is you see us in, uh, we, we, we're divided. We had a country that's divided against itself. In the worst way that you've ever seen. And Jesus prayed. He prayed. When he, if you look at all the words that Jesus is saying, right, he has, only has 33 years on this earth to communicate some valuable information to his people for decades to come, for millennia, that you would hear his words and understand what he's saying. He's giving you clues. He prayed for his disciples that we would be, you would be one just as the Father and I are one. Why? Why did he pray that? Because he knew that there was a time coming where we were going to be divided, that the enemy was going to continue to relentlessly assault mankind. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We'll get it relentlessly poured out through the media. Everywhere. Everywhere you look. The radio, music, internet. Your value has to be here. We need to find our value in this. We need to find our value in that. Everything except Jesus. And so if we look, guys, one of the things I want to challenge us and encourage us to put a tool in our tool belt is Jesus have, the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the disciples said this, only you have the words of life. And they said that because they experienced it. It is something to walk with someone and you know they love Jesus, and they're, they have your best interest in mind, and they're praying for you, and they're covering you. You find a sense of security, a sense of purpose, a sense of love, and Jesus calls us to unity. He calls us to love, but most importantly, he said, I only do the will of my Father. I come to do the will of my Father. But then he also said, man, it's not live by bread alone, Right? We survive by bread alone. We survive by bread. We live by his word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so I just want to challenge us, guys. I know we I know they're looking at me like time is ticking. <laughs> uh, but the last thing I'll say, uh, I don't know how much time you get, but the last thing I'll say is this. Quincy, you can let me know. Um So in uh, Luke's gospel, and I read some of that, uh, 4, 16 through 20, we read what many call Jesus' mission statement. Jesus has just experienced something amazing to get his official ministry off the ground. He is baptized by John the Baptist. He's tempted in the wilderness, and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. When he returns to Galilee, he takes the opportunity to set his agenda for what? He will follow. How I will pattern my life as I'm out here for the world to see. Communicating his core values and his goals, if you will, 
is as an executive director of a nonprofit, uh, it really, really excites me because when you lay down a foundation, uh, uh, it helps you make sure you don't have mission drift, right? It keeps you focused, right? And so Jesus lays out his mission statement, uh, and he chooses it from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to pro proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a lot of really amazing things in what Jesus was saying in there. Now I have time to unpack it all. Um, but he wants a, a good news to the poor, right? And as we look in our city, in our cities, man, if you've ever done ministry or work with the poor, if you've ever been poor, if you've ever been poor, and I've been poor for the majority of my life, it is hard. It is really hard to find purpose and value when you're poor. Everyone in the world looks at you like you're nothing, like you're a mistake. Jesus comes to bring good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. We would consider those who are poor who wouldn't have stuff, material things. But he was also hitting at those who are poor in spirit, those who felt like they were less than, low self-esteem, no value, marginalized, like I am not even worth it. The poor in spirit. We were watching a video the other day. I do a, um, a workforce development program, and we are training mentors on how to do cross-cultural ministry. And one of the movies we had them watch was, most of these guys are coming from the North Shore. One of the movies, or the trailers, we, um, this um, uh, series we had them watch was When They See Us, right? When They See Us is a really, really hard movie to watch. It's a really, if you haven't seen it, it welcomes you into the black and brown experience, poor, marginalized, all that. And some people have no clue that this is a reality for folks. But when Jesus comes and he says, I am bringing good news to the poor. Those who are poor, um, this is a love shown both in words, proclaiming the message of salvation and in deeds, helping the poor become less poor through the redistribution of wealth, through reconciliation. Jesus frequently urges the bet better off to give generously to those who need, right? He is calling, and Scott always talks about it, the Sabbath economics, right? And I love that idea, the idea that, <laughs> the idea that when you have, and you have an abundance, you have an abundance, you got more like, you got more than you even need. What is your biblical responsibility to the poor? to those that don't have. What we fail to realize is that Jesus is the giver of every good gift. And sometimes the pride of life can help us think <laughs> that I made my own way. I'm a self-made man or woman. 
I'm self-made. I did it. And we forget that the pride of life is sneaking in there. That God opens doors that no man can shut. He closed doors that no man can open. He is the giver of every good gift. And so Sabbath economics is when I have, I give to you so that you can have. It is the, when the church was formed, it's, it's the book of Acts. When the church came together, and this is how we wanted to build our church, that every need, every need, every single need is met when we come together in community and we look out for one another because this is the call that Jesus, it's the good news to the poor. That the world does it one thing, but I'm going to flip it on his head. I'm going to show you how you love people into the kingdom. And so good news to the poor is an amazing um, it's, it's an amazing word to those who are poor, right? If you're poor, like if you're rich, good news to the poor is like, oh, well, that ain't for me, right? But if you're poor, man, that is something for you. I've been poor. I know what it's like for folks to do things that they would never have done if they, if they only had. That is the worst feeling in the world. You have to give of yourself in a way that is demoralizing, hurtful, just because you're trying to provide. And Jesus knows, understands that hurt. And he, well, he enters into that space. And I said, I am bringing the news to the poor. I am recovering of sight to the blind. I'm bringing, giving freedom to the oppressed. All of this is great news. This is his mission statement. Why he came. Eternity, he's already existing. He's already been here. He will always be. And he comes and said, this is my mission statement. I'm never going to mission drift from this. Never going to miss you. I'm going to be with the low, lowly spirit, the brokenhearted, the lost and the lonely, the ostracized, those with disabilities, like the ragtag game. Right? Jesus says, I am there. I, I come for that. I'm all in, in that space. And it blesses me when I see people working in those spaces as well. And so, um, so Jesus bought different levels. He promised his disciples, come to me, all, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Those whose lives he transformed included a lot of people. You think of the, the woman at the well. You think of Zacchaeus. You think of the disciples. Or you think of all the people that he, like when he engaged them and transformed their lives. He has the words of life. He has the words of life for you guys today, the same as he had the words of life for those folks that he walked, engaged with. I can just imagine. Some of these times I think, because I've been doing this a long time, I've been praying to the Lord for a long time. And I think about, and this is an intimate moment I'm sharing in transparency. I think about when I, when we finally get a chance to gaze into the eyes of Jesus, right? 
right? If he is the fullness of love, I just can't imagine what I will feel when I experience that, when I see that. A love that is unconditional. That covers a multitude of sins. That welcomes us in. The orphan. The sojourner. The widow. Those less than. As we, as we battle, guys, as we battle in this fight for over temptation and sin today, how do we overcome, right? My challenge for us is one, we continue to dive in the word of God. We've got to be students of the word of God. We have to eat his word like food. It is our daily bread. We have to put on the full armor of God the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, right? All these things that, and we can talk about those at another time. Praying, fasting, and worshiping in community will help us when you got folks that know that you're going through and they speak the words of life to you. The enemy, I shared this on a call uh, the other day, um, but um, the saying is, it's always the banana that's away from the, the bunch that gets peeled. And that saying is true, right? The only way you can peel a banana is to pull it away from the bunch, from, from his group, from his family, right? And so you gotta stay in community. You gotta stay in community and you gotta hear the Lord speaking to you. Um, I wanna uh, just close in prayer. Um, I know we're getting going way past time. Um, but I would challenge you guys, if you're struggling, if God has been speaking to you, any of this stuff that we talked about, if you need help walking this walk, if you really need to be doing life in a real and more meaningful way, I encourage you to reach out to people here because we got people here who are 100% all in. And maybe they don't have all the answers. They don't have all the right answers. They don't have it all figured out. But I know that we're all in this together. And you can see it when a community does that. And so, guys, thank you. I'm going to pray. Bow your head with me. Lord God, thank you so much that you are the giver of life. Lord, that you give life. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy but you have come that we may have life and we have, may have it more abundantly. God, help us with this battle against temptation and sin, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, pride of life. Help us to recognize that in our own life. Help us to identify how the enemy is attacking us spiritually in this way. There's a system that is set up to kill us. But Jesus, you come to bring life and your words are life. And so we thank you today that we can hear, we can see your example of how you overcome the enemy using those words of life. We thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.